Welcome to the Faith Lift Radio Podcast, where doubt is destroyed and your faith is lifted. Here's today's message from Dr. Glenn. We need revival. America needs revival. I, our church needs revival. All our churches need revival. Now, Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 2 says, O Lord, I have heard thy speech, and I was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. Now lift up your hands with me and say this with me. Let this be your heart cry today. Say, O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. O Lord, revive your church in America. Now wherever you are staying right now, wherever you're living, say, O Lord, revive your church in the midst of the years. Can you say amen? Praise God. Now, <clears throat> Psalms 85 and verse 6. Psalms 85 and verse 6. Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Okay? So, the people rejoice when the people are revived again. Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12. Again, these are the, our three foundational texts we've been looking at. Hosea chapter 10 and verse 11. Sow to yourself in righteousness and reap in mercy. Whatever you sow is what you're going to reap. If you sow in righteousness, you're going to reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, and you've got to do that. Too many of us, we've got too many fallow ground. Yeah, I'm talking to you, the believer. If you don't think you've got a fallow ground, there's your proof right now that you've got a fallow ground because you think that you're okay. All right? He says, break up the fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. So we've been talking about revival, and I want you to write this down, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to give you three definition, and then the fourth one will be a Glenorechian definition of what a revival is. So, number one, revival is the return of the backsliding church to God and the conversion of sinners. Let me say it again. Revival is the return of the backsliding church, the backsliding Christian all right, and some of them are sitting right in church Sunday after Sunday. They're only going through the motion, through the routine of church, but there's no life in the spirit. Okay, there's no passion for God. There is no fire for God. So revival is the return of the backsliding church, the backsliding believer, the backsliding preachers. Oh, yeah, there are a lot of backsliding preachers behind the pulpit, only going through the motion. Are you listening? They only uh, read the Bible when they have to prepare a message on before Sunday morning. Backsliding preachers in the pulpit. Revival is the return of the backsliding church to God and the conversions of sinners. Number two, revival is the saturation of God in a community. Revival is the saturation of the presence of God, or God, in a community. Number three, revival, this is what Martin Lloyd-Jones Lloyd said, revival is days of heaven upon the earth. Revival is days of heaven upon the earth. In other words, it is heaven invading earth. Let me, now, now, let me give you a Glenorechian definition of what a revival is. It's a long definition, but you'll get it. Revival is an outpouring of the Spirit of God. Revival is an outpouring of the Spirit of God provoked by the clamoring, the travailing, the soul-travailing prayers of the saints resulting in the manifestation of the tangible presence of God, removing the sleeping saints from apathy and the conviction of hidden sins. Are you listening? Let me say it again. Listen to this now. 
Revival is an outpouring of the Spirit of God provoked by the clamoring, the travailing, the soul-travailing prayers of the saints resulting in the manifestation of the tangible presence of God removing the sleeping saints from apathy and the convictions of hidden sins. Did you hear that? Too many believers have got hidden sins in their life and they don't have any conviction about it. This is what I'm saying. I'm telling you, the people come to church Sunday in, Sunday out, and they living like the world, doing things like the world, and there's no conviction of sins. Are you hearing me, saints? So listen to me very carefully here. Revival, I'm going to give you the full definition now. Listen now. Revival is an outpouring of the Spirit of God provoked or triggered <clears throat> by the clamoring, the travailing, the soul-travailing prayers. The clamoring prayers, the travailing prayers, the soul-travailing prayers of the saints resulting in the manifestation of the tangible <clears throat> presence of God, removing, thus removing, the sleeping saints, you, from apathy and the convictions of hidden sins. Then revival pulls out into the community where sinners will be converted. But it begins first in the house of God. Can you say amen? It begins first in the house of God. So let me read that to you once again. Revival is, an, is a great outpouring of the Spirit of God provoked by the clamoring prayers, the travailing prayers, the soul-travailing prayers of the saints resulting in the manifestation of the tangible presence of God, thus removing the sleeping saints from apathy and the convictions of hidden sins. Revival then pulls out into the community where sinners get converted. Can you say amen? Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Now, let me give you some hallmarks of revival or if you like, catalyst of revival. And uh, you need to listen today. It's going to change your life. All right? <clears throat> so let me give you the hallmarks of revival. Number one, one of the major hallmarks of revival is travailing and prevailing prayers. It is soul travailing prayers. Travailing prayers is prevailing prayer. Prevailing prayer is travailing prayer. Say that with me. Prevailing prayer is travailing prayer. Travailing prayer is prevailing prayer. That is prayer that rend the heavens. That's what Isaiah says. Rend the heavens of God. Glory to God. That is what Jesus did when he was baptized and he was praying. The heavens were open. That is what you call travailing and prevailing prayers that rend the heavens and give birth to the purpose, the purposes of God, the plans of God. So one of the hallmarks of revival is travailing and prevailing prayer. And many times that is connected and attached to fasting. It is the rending of the heaven, the rending of the heavens and the giving of birth to the plans and the purposes of God. So that's number one. Number two, the second hallmark of revival, it is preaching, yeah, preaching inspired by the Holy Ghost that brings believers to repentance from apathy and the conviction of sins for the sinners. Let me say it again. It is not preaching what you've read in a book. It is not listening to a tape, to a CD, to an MP3, and then going to rehearse what you've heard on the, 
uh, on the CD or the MP3. No, 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 no. Revival preaching, ladies and gentlemen, is not what you've read out of a book. Are you listening? It is preaching inspired. Glory be to God. Can you say hallelujah? Okay. <clears throat> it is preaching inspired by the Holy Ghost that brings believers to repentance from apathy and prayerlessness and a lackadaisical attitude and then the convictions of sins for sinners. Are you listening? Inspired preaching of the Holy Ghost. Can you say amen? It is not preaching your favorite subject, all right, over and over again. No, it is preaching inspired and led by the Holy Ghost that will bring people under, conviction, uh, under convictions, that will bring the healing power of God, that will trigger deliverance. Can you say amen, 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 amen? Number three, the third hallmark of revival is mighty manifestations of the power of the Holy Spirit. Mighty manifestations of the power of the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen? And number four, Number four, won't you write this down, please? Number four, the hallmark of revival are the changes in the lives of people, both the saints and the sinners. <coughs> both the saints and the sinners. Let me say it again, and I'm going to tell you about this in a minute. Let me give you the four hallmarks of revival. Number one, one of the one of the hallmark of revival is travailing and prevailing prayers. It is soul travailing prayers, which results in the rending of the heavens and the giving of birth to the purpose of God. Number two, the second hallmark of revival is preaching inspired by the Holy Ghost, not what you've read from a book, not what you've heard from another preacher, but preaching inspired by the Holy Ghost that brings believers to repent from apathy and prayerlessness and a lack of commitment to God and the convictions of sins for the sinners. Number three, the third hallmark of revival is mighty manifestations of the power of the Holy Spirit. And number four, glory to God, number four, the fourth hallmark of revival is the changes, everybody said changes, in the lives of people, meaning saints and sinners. Today, people say to me, oh, we have revival, but their lives haven't changed. Their lives have not changed. They're still cussing. They're still not committed to God. They still got one foot in the world and one foot in the church. That's not revival, folks. That is, that is just hype. When revival comes, I want you please to write this down. Revival is God showing up and people's lives are changed. Say that with me, please. Revival is when God shows up and the people's lives are changed. When Jesus came up on the scene, lives were changed. Glory to God. They did not remain the same. When he encountered Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus changed his ways. Are you listening? When he encountered Peter and Andrew, they left everything and followed Jesus. But you're telling me that you've got revival, but there's no following up in Christ. There's no changes in your life. No, 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 no. That is not revival. That is just you having tickling ears. Revival will force a change in the church in your life, and among the sinners. Are you hearing me, saints? Can you say amen? So revival is God showing up, and people's lives are changed. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Let me give you an interesting fact. Okay? In the early 1900s, uh, God was moving. God was moving in uh, Azusa. All right, Azusa Street in California. God was moving in Europe. God was moving in um, 
in China. God was moving in Wales. We had the Welsh Revival. That was the name associated with the Welsh Revival is Evan Roberts. But here's an interesting fact. Listen to this now. This is what we're talking to you about, that when re revival is when God shows up and people's lives are changed. Listen to this. The story of the 1904 Welsh Revival was a real eye-opener. I'm just reading from a chapter of a book. When a powerful move of God swept across Welsh towns and valleys, entire communities were transformed. Now, prior to that, churches were empty. Prior to that, there was debauchery in the land. Okay? So, this is a powerful move of God swept across, across Welsh towns and valleys. Entire communities were transformed. Bars and gambling houses closed due to lack of business. Prostitution ceased. Courthouses closed because there were no criminal cases to try. That is what a revival does. Now, <clears throat> one of the most amusing story uh, <clears throat> is the... Uh, the miners that got saved. Now listen to this now. When the miners got saved, they were working in the coal mines, of course. When the miners got saved, all right, <clears throat> they had to restrain all the little donkeys that pulled carts loaded with coal. Well, why, you ask? Well, prior to them becoming saved and born again, the way that they will use to talk to the donkeys to get these donkeys, these uh, animals, of, these burdened animals that would carry the coals, they would be cussing the donkeys, all right? Swearing and cussing at the donkeys, all right? <clears throat> see, you see, the donkeys were conditioned to respond to commands laced with foul mouth curse words. Now, these people get born again, and they don't cuss no more. These people are born again, and their words, their, their conversation is not laced with profanity. Are you listening? And so the donkeys couldn't understand these Welsh miners because they were not being cussed at. Are you listening to me now, somebody? Can you say amen? So ladies and gentlemen, <clears throat> all right, these donkeys did not know how to respond to the commands of the miners because their words were not laced with profanity and curse words and cussing. Because once revival hit, sinners get born again. Saints, uh, is, they are removed from a life of apathy and changes come into our life. Don't tell me that you have revival, but your life remained the same. You're still cussing. You're still drinking. You're still running around with women. You're still doing crazy stuff. No, 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 no. You're still out of church. That's not revival. Are you listening? You see, the problem is we want revival on our terms. We want revival on our terms. So we're looking at that there'll be great changes by the Holy Ghost in your life. Now, I want us to look at this soul travailing. This was a hallmark or a precursor or a trigger of revival. That is soul travailing prayers. Travailing and prevailing prayers. Let's look at a few verses before I show you something else today. Thank you, Jesus. Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66. Listen to me very carefully here. The Bible says, Before she travailed, underline that. Before? Before she travailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, 
she was delivered of a man-child? Who has heard such a thing? No, 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 no. The deliverance of the child, the delivery of the child comes after the travailing. Now we've got the cart ahead of the ox. We want the birth without the travailing. It doesn't work that way. Verse 8, who has heard such a thing? Who have seen such, a th such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? As soon as Zion travail, as soon as Zion travail, she brought forth her children. That is still the case today. Zion has to travail in order to give birth. Zion has to travail in order to give birth. Verse 9, shall I bring to the birth and not cause to bring forth? Save the Lord, shall I cause to bring forth and shut the womb? No, 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 no. When that baby is going to be born, that baby is going to be born. Now, look at Jesus. This is a prophecy of Isaiah about our Lord Jesus. Isaiah 53, verse 11. He shall see the travail of his soul. Now, you see, you've just read about Zion travailing, and now you're reading of the travailing of the Messiah. Amen? The travailing of Jesus. All right? He shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. <clears throat> so without travailing, there will be no satisfaction. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear, he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil. There can be no spoil. Amen. If there is no travailing. Because he has poured out his soul. If you want a definition of what travailing prayer is, it is the pouring out of your soul before God. He poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession. Made intercession, the travailing of the soul, Amen. Is the pouring out of your soul. It is the making of intercession. Can you say amen? So we've just read here the travailing of the Messiah. Now let's go to the book of Galatians chapter 4. So we've seen about Zion travailing. Zion needs to travail. We've seen the travailing of the Messiah. Now let's go to Galatians chapter 4 and verse 19. And you're about to read of the travail, amen, of the Apostle Paul. My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. This is the travailing of the Apostle Paul. He travailed, firstly, to bring to birth that Galatian church. And then, wicked men, Judaizers went in there, and he had to travel in, in birth again until Christ be formed in you. So this is what we're talking about, the soul travailing prayers. Glory be to God. Now, I was reading a book, an all-timers book this morning, about soul travailing. And I want to read that to you. I want to read that to you. And I want you please to pay attention. Please pay attention. Because this is one thing. Among many. That is missing. In. The modern church. We no longer have. The praying mamas and the praying daddies. Like we used to have. We no longer have the weeping between the porch and the altar. 
We no longer have the soul travailing prayers like we used to have. This is why we don't have an awakening yet in America. And if America is going to experience an awakening, if we are as a ministry going to experience an awakening, we will need to do what the Apostle Paul did, what Zion is to do, and what Jesus did. Amen, amen, amen. So, this chapter is called Soul Travailing, and I want to read this to you, and I want you to follow along with me. We read in Isaiah 66 and verse 8, that as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. And this is the most fundamental element in the work of God. Can children be born without pain? Can there be birth without travail? Yet, how many expect in the spiritual realm that which is not possible in the natural? My mama. Oh, my brethren, nothing, absolutely nothing short of soul travail will bring forth spiritual children. Finney, Charles Finney, tells us that he had no words to utter. He could only groan and weep when pleading with God for a lost soul. That was true travail. That is true travail. Can we travail for a drowning child? but not for a perishing soul. It is not hard to weep when we realize that our little one is sinking below the surface for the last time. Anguish is spontaneous then. Not hard to agonize when we see the casket containing all that we love on earth being born, being carried out of the home. Ah, no tears. <clears throat> ah, no, tears are natural at such a time. Let me say it again. Anguish is spontaneous then. Not hard to agonize when you see a casket containing a little one, one that we love, a person that we love on earth being carried out of the home. It's not hard. No, 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 no. Tears are natural at such a time. But oh, to realize and to know that souls, precious, never dying souls, are perishing all around us, going out into the blackness of darkness and despair, eternally lost, and yet to feel no anguish, to shed no tears, and to know no travail. How cold our hearts are, how little we know of the compassion of Jesus. And yet, God can give us this, and the fault is ours if we do not have it. Ladies and gentlemen, we expect extraordinary results. And extraordinary results are quite possible. Signs and wonders will follow. But only through extraordinary efforts in the spiritual realm. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Let me say it again. We expect extraordinary results and extraordinary results are quite possible signs and wonders will follow but only through extraordinary efforts in the spiritual realm hence nothing short of continuous agonizing pleading for souls hours upon hours Days and nights of prayer will ever 
avail. Like I said to you, I'm reading from one of the old timers book on the subject of revival. Therefore, gird yourselves. The book of Joel says, Therefore, gird yourselves and lament, you priest. Howl, you ministers of the altar. Come, lie all night in sackcloth. When was the last time you spent all night in prayer to God? <laughs> lie all night in sackcloth, ye ministers of my God. Sanctify a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land unto the house of the Lord your God and cry unto the Lord. Cry unto the Lord. That's Joel chapter 1, verse 13 till verse 14. Oh, yes. Joel knew the secret. Let us lay aside everything else and cry unto the Lord. We read in the biographies of our forefathers who were most successful in winning souls that they prayed for hours in private. The question therefore arises, can we get the same results without following the same example? If we can, then let us prove to the world that we have found a better way. But if not, then in God's name, let us begin to follow those who through faith and patience obtain the promises. <clears throat> Our forefathers wept and prayed and agonized before the Lord for sinners to be saved and would not rest until they were slain by the sword of the word of God. That was the secret of their mighty success. When things were slack and would not move, they wrestled in prayer until God poured out his spirit upon the people and sinners were converted. Ma, ma, ma. Do we have the same resolution? Now listen to this now. All, A-L-L, all men of God had become, have become men mighty in prayer. It is said that the sun never rose on China without finding Hudson Taylor on his knees. No wonder the China Inland Mission had been so wonderfully owned of God. The sun, the sun never rose on China without finding Hudson Taylor on his knees. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to write this down, please. Follow along. Conversion is the operation of the Holy Spirit. And prayer is the power that secures that operation. Did you hear that? Conversion is the operation of the Holy Spirit. And prayer is the power that secures that operation. Souls are not saved by men, but by God. And since he works in answer to prayer, we have no choice but to follow the divine plan. Prayer moves the arm that moves the world. Say that with me, please. Prayer moves the arm that moves the world. Glory to God. Prevailing prayer is not easy. If it was, everybody would be doing it. Travailing prayer is not easy. If it was, everybody would be doing it. Only those, now hear me and hear me well, only those who have wrestled, wrestled with the powers of darkness know how hard it is. 
Paul says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's found in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. Romans chapter 8 and verse 26. And when the Holy Spirit prays, it is with groanings which cannot be uttered. My, my, my. Oh, how, how few find time for prayer. There is time for everything else. Time to sleep, time to eat, time to read the newspaper, time to read the novel, time to go on Facebook, time for social media, time to visit friends, time for everything else under the sun, but no time for prayer. The most important of all things, that one great essential. Think of Susanna Wesley, who, in spite of the fact that she had 19 children, found the time to shut herself in her room for a full hour each day alone with God. As a matter of fact, if you know the story of Susanna Wesley, she would have her apron and she would tell her, her children, when you see mama putting the apron over her head, this is mama's time in the closet with God. Nineteen children, and yet she found time to give God one hour a day. My friends, <clears throat> it is not so much a case of finding time as, <clears throat> as it is making time. And we can make time if we will. We can make time if we will. So important did the apostles consider it that they would not even wait on tables, but said, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Acts chapter 6 and verse 4. Yet how many ministers are burdened with the financial side of the ministry or of the work and how many officials expect them to bear it? No wonder our spiritual work is of such little account because it is not bathed in prayer. The Bible says in Luke chapter 6 and verse 12, And it came to pass in those days that he, the master Jesus, went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night, continued all night in prayer to God. Such is the record concerning the Son of God. And if it was necessary for him, how much more so for us? Oh, think of it. All night in prayer. My, my, my. He continued all night in prayer. How many times could that be written of us? Hence, his strength, hence our weakness. The strength of Jesus, the strength of Elijah, the strength of Daniel was that they spent many nights in prayer. Their strength is our weakness. How fervently do the prophets, do the prophets of old urge a life of prayer? Here what the great Isaiah, as he proclaims in Isaiah 62, verse 6 and verse 7, Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence, and give him the rest until he establishes, and until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Hear now what the great prophet Joel said. Joel chapter 2, verse 15. 
Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar, and let them say, Spare thy people, O God. Give not your heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, Where is their God? And not only did they urge prayer, but they themselves prayed. Daniel says, he said in Daniel chapter 9, verse 3 to verse 4, I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession. How about Ezra? who also wielded the same mighty weapon in every time of difficulty. The Bible says in Ezra chapter 9 and verse 5, I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands unto the Lord my God. Then follows his most remarkable prayer. The same method was followed by Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 4. And it came to pass when I heard the words regarding the broken walls of Jerusalem, he related that I sat down and I wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Such was also the practice of the early church. When Peter was in prison, it is stated that prayer was made without ceasing of the church under God for him, and many were gathered together praying. Remember that? In the house where Rhoda was, many were gathered together praying. That is one of our problems in the modern church today. If you study the, the uh, revival in Korea, and it's still happening today. They have what is known as dawn meeting, D-A-W-N, dawn meeting, early morning prayer meetings. And today, everything that has brought revival is no longer being practiced by the church. Dawn prayer meeting, all night prayer meeting. You see, the cost of revival is prayer. The cost of revival is time in prayer. Now, in closing, we turn to the record of God's dealing with his honored servants and hear what they have to say about the secret of the results. And oh, may he put upon us, upon you, upon me, the burden of prayer and supplication that rested upon these mighty spiritual giants and filled them with such travail. Listen to this now. John Livingston spent the whole night prior to June 21, 1630 in prayer and conference being designated to preach the next day after he had been speaking for an hour and a half. A few drops of rain disconcerted the people, but Livingston asking them if they had any shelter from the storm of God's wrath went on another hour. That day, there were about 500 converted on the spot. Spent the whole night in prayer to preach the next day. Today, we spend the whole night reading a book, which is fine. You know, I am a voracious reader. But my, 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 this is what I'm saying to you. Our preaching must be bathed in prayer. Listen to this now. Charles Finney. Charles Finney. I once knew a minister who had a revival 14 winters in succession. I did not know how to account for it. Until I saw one of his members get up in a prayer meeting and make a confession. Brethren, he said... I have been long in the habit of praying every Saturday night till after midnight for the descent of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, upon us. And now, brethren, and he began to weep. I confess that I have neglected it for two or three weeks. 
The secret was out. The minister had a praying church. Do you, do we, spend Saturday night in prayer for our Sunday service? No. Many of us, we spend most of our Saturday night in entertainment. Nothing wrong with you having fun with your family, but you got to give some time to prayer. Again, Charles Finney. Prevailing or effectual prayer is that prayer which attains the blessing that it seeks. It is that prayer which effectually moves God. The very idea of effectual prayer is that it affects its object. That is Charles Finney. Listen to this now. In a certain town... There had been no revival for many years. The church was nearly extinct. The youth were all unconverted. And desolation reigned unbroken. There lived in a retired part of the town an aged man, a blacksmith by trade, and of so stammering tongue that it was painful to hear him speak. On one Friday, as he was at work in his shop alone, his mind became greatly exercised about the state of the church and of the impenitent. His agony became so great that he was, <coughs> he was induced to lay by his work, lock the shop door, and spend the afternoon in prayer. He prevailed, and on the Sabbath, or the Saturday, called uh, on the minister and desired him to appoint a conference meeting. And after some hesitations, the minister consented, observing how he feared few would attend. He appointed it the same evening at a large private house. When evening came, more assembled... <clears throat> than could be accommodated in the house. All were silent for a time until one sinner broke out in tears and said if anyone could pray, would they pray for him? Another followed, and another, and still another, until it was found that persons from every quarter of the town were under deep conviction. And that was remarkable Glory be to God. And what was remarkable was that they all dated their conviction at the hour that that old man was praying in his shop. A stammering old man. But yet, he knew how to bring heaven down. A powerful revival then followed. Thus, this old stammering man prevailed as a prince that had power with God. Again, that is from the writing of Charles Finney. Let me give you a couple more. Thank you, Lord Jesus. <clears throat> I have pleaded with God this day for hours in the woods for souls. He will give them and know his sign. I shall have souls tonight. Yours, I trust, will be one. Night came, and with it such a power as I had never felt. Cries for mercy rang all over the chapel before the sermon was done. I, with many others, fell upon our knees to implore salvation. This is of Mr. Collins. A Colin convert. He says, I went to my lonely retreat among the rocks. The rocks. I wept much as I besought the Lord to give me souls, to give me souls. I spent the Friday in secret fasting, meditation, and prayer for help on the Lord's day. About the middle of the sermon, a man cried out at the cry my soul ran over. I fell to prayer. Nor could we preach any more for cries and tears all over the chapel. We continued in intercessions and salvation came. 
That's the life of Thos Collins. He gave himself unto prayer. Woods and lonely wasted places became his closets. In such exercise time, in such exercises, time would flew, flew unheeded. He stopped amid the solitary crags to pray, and heaven so met him there that hours elapsed unconsciously. Strong in the might of such baptism, he became bold to declare the cross and willing to bear to bear it. Can you say amen? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. My time is coming to an end today. Ladies and gentlemen, these are people who spent hours in prayers, crying for souls, crying for revival, crying for not pouring. Do we have the same kind of resolution today? John Nelson said this, John Nelson Hyde, also known as Spring Hyde, if you spend several hours in prayer daily, you shall see great things. He made it a rule to rise out of bed about 12 o'clock and to sit up till 2 o'clock for prayer and to converse with God. Then he slept until 4, at which time he always arose. These are people who paid the price. David Stoner said this, Be instant and constant in prayer. Study books. Study. Now listen, to, let me start again. The man said, David Stoner said this, be instant and constant in prayer. Study, books, eloquence, fine sermons are all nothing without prayer. Prayer brings the spirit, the life, and the power. That is from the memoirs of David Stoner. William Bramwell said this, I find it of great necessity to begin at five in the morning and to pray at all opportunities till ten or eleven at the night. Ma, 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 ma. Where are these people today? Where are these people today? But must we go back to this mighty old man? Are there not some today who will ask God to burden them with a prayer burden. May we not even in this generation have a revival in answer to faithful, believing, travailing, prevailing prayer. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Faith Lift Radio Podcast. For more information about Dr. Glenn and how to offer your financial support, Log on to glenarecchia.org.